I'm Denzel Mohammed, and welcome to JobMakers. So we finally have an infrastructure bill signed into law last November. America's infrastructure is not in good shape, and we need solid infrastructure to grow the economy. How else do we get to work, ship supplies, and travel from here to there? But who's doing the rebuilding? For Abul Islam, immigrant from Pakistan and founder, president and CEO of AI Engineers, headquartered in Middletown, Connecticut, he's one of the people helping to rebuild America. AI Engineers is a consulting firm that builds and rehabilitates bridges, transportation systems, and building systems throughout the US. Since 1991, Abul has created nearly 1,000 jobs and today leads a $50 million company. Owl believes in the power of education, particularly in science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM, to uplift urban centers and create a pipeline of skilled workers. Because while we draw that talent from international students and H-1B workers, it's something the U.S. is sorely lacking in its own students and future workforce, as you learn in this week's JobMakers. Abul Islam, founder, president, CEO of AI Engineers in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to the JobMakers podcast. How are you? Thank you, Denzel. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. So give us the 30-second pitch about your company, AI Engineers. What do you do? Oh, we do uh, consulting engineering, uh, construction management uh, for our usually government uh, you know, agencies, state, municipalities. We also work for federal government. Um, 90% of our business with the, with the state DOTs, government agencies, uh, you know, clients that own the transportation network. Uh, and the business has grown from two people, me and my wife in 30 years to 261 people, six offices, Middletown, Connecticut is our headquarters, uh, growing. Uh, we have grown uh, significantly in the last uh, five years. We started as a minority disadvantaged business. That was a great help. And now we are... Um, Looking forward to uh, growing this business, uh, actually doubling our revenue in the next three years. So why, why do you consider this line of work important? And briefly, how has it evolved over the years? Because you've been around for, what, 30 years now? Yes, this line uh, of work is important for our, our, our country, our society, our community, because if you don't uh, rebuild your infrastructure, which is about at least 50, 60 years old, bridges, highways, uh, public buildings, you know, uh, waters, wastewater, sewer system. Uh, if you don't rebuild them, you will not have uh, growth and economic development. And we we were the in the U.S. were the pioneers of building the first world class, uh, you know, uh, highway, you know, connecting three thousand miles east west, two thousand miles uh, north south, the crisscrossing highways. Um, but then somehow after the eighties we did not uh, expand anymore, unlike China, you know, and other emerging countries who has really invested a lot more since the uh, mid 80s or early 90s. And they have far, uh, you know, they have more modern infrastructure from high speed trains to, you know, uh, interchanges, highways connecting big cities, um, transportation, intermodal network, and so on and so forth. So our business is absolutely critical in 
in rehabilitating, upgrading, and repairing our bridges and highways. So it's all the more important for us to really rebuild our infrastructure now that we have finally got some money on the infrastructure bill to, um, to build, rebuild our infrastructure so that we can sustain our economic and social development. And that's how critical infrastructure is, and that's our line of business. Thank you for, for articulating that, that it's so key to economic growth and that there was time when we weren't growing as fast as other countries. Um, so you were born in Pakistan. And um, a lot of Americans don't have any idea what life is like in, in other countries. Can you sort of just take us back to your childhood in Pakistan and uh, paint us a picture? What was it like growing up? It was, was, was good, generally. You know, back then when I was growing up in in the in the in the late 60s 70s and 80s i came to the united states uh, january 1983 and uh, life life wasn't that bad i enjoyed um, you know my time in pakistan when we were growing up going to the engineering school i was to hang out at the us information center or for that matter german or french in karachi french uh, you know cultural centers and all that and learned a lot about other uh, countries and cultures by being in pakistan before i even decided to come for my uh, graduate studies in engineering. So education was something that was really important in your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. As I said that, uh, uh, you know, my grandfather uh, got an English education that was almost like 110 years ago. And then he got a government job with the then Indian government, which was the capital in, in, in Kolkata, which is Calcutta back then. And successively, all of the family members went to schools, you know, 12-year schools, colleges, in Karachi, New Delhi, wherever the, our family spread all over the subcontinent. And they made it a point to send their kids to school, even if they have economic difficulties or challenges, middle-class people, you know, two parents working for government, making ends meet, but they're paying the tuition fee for sending their kids to English school or the local schools taking a lot of attention on what they study. We were seven brothers and sisters. I was the second one. You arrived in the U.S. in January of 1983. That's right. In New York City, what was the experience like when you first moved here? I was excited, although I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know how I'll meet my expenses for the next one and a half year. I did have the tuition paid. Uh, I got a, a you know uh, interest-free loan and some grants to pay for my tuition, you know, for first, second, and third semester. But I just had an allowance of. $200 a month for living expenses. You couldn't just live in New York City for $200. All that was in 1983. The, the minimum was there like 700 back then for a student, but I had 200, that was my, so I had to do work in the campus, outside the campus and full-time student, you know, uh, but I didn't complain, you know, I, I worked whatever opportunities came along my way, I, I worked and uh, without a lot of money, I, I had a good time. I, I tried to immerse myself in the, in the cultural milieu of, of, of New York City, which I loved, you know, so many people from so many countries, uh, so many intellectual discussion, music. You will used to get $2 music uh, tickets at the Juliet School or others, you know, where you can, uh, you know, be there, fraction of a price in a, in a concert or something, you know. Uh, so all these things were not there in Pakistan, you know, the, the cultural part, you know, the art part, other than engineering, which also um, expand my vistas and horizon with regard to life, society, and community, so I could make a distinction between where I am from and how this society is different. I love how you are already such a curious person and to, to be able to absorb all that New York City had to offer. And, you know, you're an engineer, but you're absorbing 
music and art and and history and politics. Uh, really, really fascinating. Um, but you did not intend to be an entrepreneur. You didn't come here with the intention of starting a business. What brought you into this space of entrepreneurship? Um, need, you know, um, basically, you know, the engineering salary was uh, hardly enough to sustain a family. I I just got married in '89. Uh, I had my firstborn in '90. Uh, I had signed up for a mortgage in nineteen in in March nineteen ninety. People were advising, "Hey, there's a minority business program in my big company that I used to work for. I was a licensed engineer. Hey, you can start a company." I said, "That's a good idea." So I thought of this over it, sat up on on it for months and six months and eight months. Then after a year, I took the leap of faith and started my own company, and it didn't go anywhere in the first eighteen months. You know, almost ran out of my last saving on the 18 month before I got my first contract for $50,000. That's when it took off. And from the first $50,000 fee job, uh, we are a $50 million company today. And I, I work like, I work like a dog, you know, doing night work, doing day work. I'm myself, the production guy one day, you know, my wife doing the accounting and billing and all that stuff, making calls to clients, you know, small enterprise and all that. So it took a long time and that was a great time to really understand what business is. Accountants came along the way, lawyers, and you, you get to know what you, you went to a couple of business training schools, three-day classes, two-day, what everything. I, I took a lot of those classes. And, and that opened my vistas with regard to the world of business because nobody in the family had anything to do with business. They had science engineering or maths or doctors, engineer, lawyer. Those were the three professions in Pakistan, nothing else, no, no concept of a businessman. I mean, that's what I was about to say. There's so many programs available now for budding entrepreneurs, you know, mentorship programs, uh, incubators, all sorts of things. And 30 years ago, we didn't have those things. So it, it's quite remarkable that you were able to bootstrap. And without having a safety net, very importantly, you've imbued your company with particular values. And I know that you're well aware of how aware young people are today of corporate responsibility. Can you talk about that and why those values are important? They want to have the companies to have values, societal values, you know, uh, you know, transparency in internal dealings too. That is very crucial for you building an agile organization, especially in our age where DEI is also so important. You know, it was not 20 years. I mean, DEI is should be real. DEI was always there for these big corporations of Wall Street. They had, you know, somebody from our background, ethnicity, color, or whatever, put in a nice place, but he he or she didn't have the real power. What the industry is asking for now that if you have anybody, any ethnic class, you know, gender uh, protected and all that, if you, he or she's got the power, it better be real power in the organization. Just don't put your face and then say we are in compliance with all minority requirements. That was the product I saw, but not, not, not anymore. Many companies, including private Wall Street companies, are serious about giving opportunities to the qualified person across the board, across the DEI spectrum, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know. So this is real. This is good. This is happening in my lifetime. After 30 years in business, it was not there. And I, I, I do recognize that, that you very intentionally are coming up with a new mission narrative for your organization. And yes. this, I imagine, is a huge part of that. Absolutely. So I have it, a book, uh, you know, you can have it on our website too. It's called AI Engineers. You know, if you can see, it's called Our Agile Journey. And in the, in the second page of the book, it says, 
And this is based on my own experience working with government agencies that uh, most organizations are rigid machines, triangular hierarchical silos and all that. What we want to be is an agile organization where the um, we people centric culture, you know, agile is people centric, uh, rapid decision making, um, collaborative team oriented environment. And we are rather a nucleus here and all that all the teams are working this concept took me this book is three years old and every employee has this book now and we we question them you know this is a, you know we ask them well are we in in compliance with this book we must practice agility because we live in a very uncertain and unpredictable world when you can predict what is going to happen tomorrow you can have a process manual procedures which is all good so much of our world was you know, last uh, 50 years of industrial economic, huge development that we made everywhere, government, private, and all that was unpredictable that we can predict this, we can predict the outcomes. Therefore, a structured organization lends itself to make sense. When our world is suddenly changing and become more unpredictable, more disruptive, all other factors, including new technology, you simply can't use that rigid structure, especially in an organization where people work with their intellect, engineering talent, experience, and all that. So the agile practice is a logical conclusion for the, the successful firm, engineering firm of the future. I love that you're holding yourself accountable. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I want to get into one particular area that's really of interest to me and I'm sure to you too. So I've counted at least 23 job openings on your company's website. We know that there's a shortage of American students in STEM and for, uh, international students, foreign students who come to the U.S. tend to dominate the STEM, the STEM areas. Um, so we often have to rely on that foreign talent. And of course, you know, that foreign talent brings diversity, which in and of itself has its own richness. But um, what have you been doing or seeing when it comes to addressing this issue of education broadly, but also uh, students in STEM? It's, it's very, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a need for businesses, just not our, our business, it's across the board, any sizes, that there is a huge crisis of skilled force workforce. When we found what was useful was the H1B process. So historically, you know, we had used the H1B process very successfully, going to the campuses with a master's program or even a bachelor's program. They get a year or two for working legally after from their graduate school. You know, uh, they, you know, they have an engineering four year or, or uh, five, six year degree in master's. And then they can work for us for another three to six sometimes nine years on the H1B. That's a great boon for companies like us because, you know, um, uh, we, we have a hard time attracting and recruiting um, the best and the brightest, you know. We definitely need these uh, foreign talent, you know, to come to the United States, immigrant, especially with a, with a four-year, uh, you know, engineering or technical degree program. And they become eligible to work for us for three three years with a certain minimum cap of salary that the federal actually we pay more than that. You know, right now the market is whatever, the, even the minimum salary of an entry-level engineer, you know, two years experience in the U.S., Government says they pay him 58. We pay at least 10, 15% over that just because of the market dynamics. Otherwise, we will not have the talent. That is such a good program, you know, because not too many people in the in the 1980s, since the 80s, have gone to engineering school, 80s, 90s, uh, you know, 
They've gone to finance the schools and this and that. So we don't have the number of engineers, four-year degree engineers on many disciplines like we had in the 1980s or 70s. We were self-sufficient, no longer self-sufficient. So we need a lot of engineers and H1 program is a good program for any business I think, especially has, it has proven. We have a history of successfully using the H1B program who have eventually become gotten green card as, as many of them and became part of the the uh, the American experience for them as well. You know, they got better jobs and you know families situated better. They own property in five. You know, in many of the people that I hired on the on the fifth year they bought a house. On the tenth year they had you know the the American life. You know, two three cars. Their kids are going to better schools and they're paying taxes. So uh, it's a win win situation for all. Attracting foreign talent does nothing but good for our country. Um, but I know you said that education was really important in your family growing up. And I know it's important to you now. And you you do some work with school districts and community colleges. Can you describe some of the things that you've been doing and what kind of impact they've had? Uh, Connecticut Business and Industries Association has done a lot of work uh, in alliance with, uh, with all sides of businesses, small, large, medium size, to go into our urban schools and kind of... Um, uh, kind of guide them, inspire them, help them. So I've been a founding member of the Academy uh, of Engineering uh, in Hartford High Schools, you know, in 2009. And uh, we had firsthand experience with the teachers and the kids, but the majority of the kids need some kind of, uh, you know, remedial program, support, guidance, inspiration because of the socioeconomic condition in, in many of the urban areas. Uh, so that inspired me a lot to under the National Academy Foundation uh, Sanford Vile started the program. And all of us businessmen from Pratt & Whitney, from AI engineers, from Eversource, uh, they sat in the board of directors and really went into selected high schools, you know, at the 10th, 11th, and 12th grade and saying that how could, how could we help? How could we help uh, to align them with the uh, employers, whether they're manufacturing employers, engineering employers, any employers, and how could... Um, how could the community colleges also help? Because many of them has socioeconomic issues also, you know, a single parent, not enough um, guidance within the uh, neighborhood or the family, you know, the figures that they can look up to except for the school. So if you inspire them in these, um, everybody's turns, they go into a, a group of 30, 40 kids uh, graduating and talk about what we do as engineer or the guy from Pratt & Whitney or the lady from another company saying that we are doing these interesting work. Would you like to be an engineer? And if you like to be an engineer or a scientist, you have to do this, this, that. They have all these, uh, they, they built all these, um, you know, the computer models. Some of them went to Nepal. We funded that. Uh, we provided scholarship in the company too. And, and many of these, actually AI was since 2009, have two candidates that we tracked from that high school that we recruited them, we would just have them three-week internship while they were in the ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And then they you know, went to community college and then we followed them, you know, their progress. And then they went to the four-year school. And now two of them are working for seven years and one of the senior engineers of AI, we got them from the academy program. So if the businesses do it in alliance with three, three nodes of a triangle, community college, high school, and business. So if you draw a triangle, you know, uh, and if it works seamlessly, information exchanges, I think this will pay dividend universally, a universal approach that the role of the community college is very important for the entire industry. 
IT engineering and all that. And the community colleges that are in close proximity or in the urban areas, you know, where the school system are generally not as great as it there in the suburbs, you know, why don't the businesses go and kind of give their time and attention because it indirectly helps them with regard to the workforce, you know, of the future. That's terrific. And this is this is private sector in action, right? And paying dividends. So you you get the talent that you um that you foster and you nurture. Uh, so finally, um America has given you a home and a successful business and what I would argue is a, a beautiful legacy. Uh, what are your thoughts about the United States as a home for entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial immigrants like yourself? It is the country that has given the maximum opportunity to immigrants historically. You know, I think it's a great place to start a business, uh, especially for an immigrant. Uh, you know, follow the rules and procedures in the books, pay taxes, uh, talk to people come up with a new product and services, whatever you do, it is a place. It is, It is. you know, uh, there are other countries. I know that, you know, European countries, Australia, Canada, but nothing has the culture and the historical legacy as America has. If you have the, the desire to succeed, you have to be ready for it. And this is the country that will make it happen for you. So I, I have, I, I'm very happy uh, about the United States and being a citizen of this, this country. Incredible. Abul Islam, founder and president and CEO of AI Engineers. Thank you for joining us on the Jobmakers podcast. This was a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Denzel. Thank you for your time. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for today's powerful story of immigrant entrepreneurship. Remember, you can subscribe to Jobmakers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us some stars. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers. Jobmakers.